Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. My name is Jason Coker. I'm a co-minister here at the Oceanside Sanctuary as well. For those of you who are new, today we get to jump into a new teaching series that, uh, much to the dismay of some folks, I'm sure, I'm calling uh, Giving Up Toxic Jesus for Lent. Now, you have to imagine that title, Giving Up Toxic Jesus for Lent, you know, the toxic part is in parentheses. You know, it's like my clever way of trying to say, I don't want you to give up Jesus for Lent, but there are ways in which I think we have constructed an image of Jesus that has become quite harmful, uh, quite toxic, both to ourselves and others, that has, in fact, become a kind of idol in our lives. And Lent really is about learning to let go of things that have become toxic or unhealthy or controlling in your life. That's what religious fasting is all about. If you weren't raised in a liturgical tradition, I was not raised in a liturgical tradition. Uh, Lent was not something that I practiced growing up in my non-denominational evangelical church. And so later in life, I had to learn what fasting was about. That fasting wasn't about giving things up in order to please God, that it wasn't about earning God's favor or God's happiness because God could see, you know, how willing you were to suffer for God, Uh, but rather that in life, one of the things that we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency in our fears and in our insecurities and in our emptiness, we have a tendency to take things in life and allow them to become indulgences that control us. And this can be good things as well as bad things. And so more often than not, religious fasting involves giving up food, right? This is what we see people in the Hebrew Bible doing. This is what we see Jesus himself doing. When they fast, they fast from food. Well, food isn't a bad thing. Food is not only a good thing, it's something that we need to survive. We have to eat every day consistently in order to be healthy, to be strong. But unfortunately, this good thing, food, can also become a controlling thing in our lives. It ceases to be nourishment. It ceases to be what helps us to become healthy, and it becomes an idol. It becomes something that we serve rather than something that serves us. So fasting, then, is a way of giving up things and learning how to be in control of them, not being in control or being controlled by them. Well, so my sort of notion for this series is that we can do the same thing with Jesus. We can take a good thing. We can take the central thing, the main thing in our lives of faith, and we can turn it into an unhealthy image that controls us and even harms us, or even worse, leads us to harm others. So today we're going to begin with Matthew chapter 11. We're going to get to that in just a moment. I want to talk to you about the first toxic Jesus that we, I think, need to think about giving up, and that is the authoritarian Jesus, the Jesus who is an authoritarian in our lives, and also enables us to be authoritarians in other people's lives. Uh, But before we jump into that, would you just take a moment and pray with me? God, we thank you for today, for these passages that we're about to read. We thank you for this space that we have to come together to lift our voices and our prayers, uh, to lift our minds to you, to offer ourselves Uh, as a kind of sacrifice to you. We ask that in the midst of doing so, that you would 
meet us in grace, that you would inspire us, and that you would shape us and change us into the kinds of people that we were created to be. That we would, uh, as Dave said earlier, learn to follow after Jesus, to love those who are desperately in need of being liberated and included and centered uh, and honored. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. A great deal of harm in the history of Christianity has been done by the passage in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission, one of my favorite passages. Love the Great Commission. In it, Jesus says to his disciples right before he ascends into heaven, he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the nations and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And lo, I am with you until the very end of the age. And that passage, as good as it is, I think, and I'm not here to teach what I think Matthew 28, 18 through 19 means today, but as good as I think it is, we have done a great deal of harm in the world using that notion that our job as the church is to go out into the world and sort of conquer the world for Jesus and teach them to obey Jesus. And this is, I think, where this authoritarian Jesus tends to come from. We imagine that Jesus is a kind of authoritarian who has come on behalf of the authoritarian God, whose entire mission is to teach us to obey, that obedience is the central thing, that we must obey at all costs. Otherwise, if we do not obey, if we fail to obey, if we slip up in some way and manage to forget to ask for you know, forgiveness, then Jesus you know, or God is likely to torment us for all eternity in hell. We find Jesus using this terminology around hell and eternal damnation, Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew and Mark chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 10, several different passages throughout Scripture. My problem with this image of Jesus and God is that it's sort of a cosmic good cop, bad cop arrangement, right? God is the bad cop, the cop who comes along and says, I'm going to throw you in prison for the rest of your life if you don't confess to the things that you've done. And Jesus comes along, he's the nice cop, he's the good cop. Hey, you know, please just, you know, own up to what you did. I mean, you know, if you do, then everything will go better for you. There will be grace. This is our relationship with the authoritarian God. Jesus is the friendly version of the authoritarian God. And God, the Father, the distant God out there somewhere is the one who's ready to swoop in and burn us for all eternity if we don't admit our faults. The problem with the good cop, bad cop version of God is that it is a law and order spirituality. It is a fear-based religion. And my problem with that is that when I read Jesus' words, when I learn about his life, I don't read about a fear-based religion. Sort of the flip side of the The Great Commission is, of course, the Great Commandment, where Jesus teaches that what summarizes all in the Law and the Prophets is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is, according to Jesus, the essence of what it means to fulfill God's desires. 
And love is not fear-based or fear-related. You would never say that you know your spouse or your partner or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your children love you because they fear you. No, not even your children. Your children might fear you at an early age for whatever reason, but nobody would say that by the time their children become 15 or 25 or 50 that they love me because they fear me. Fear is not the heart of love, no matter how you slice it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, John says, Perfect love, in fact, casts out or drives out all fear. Of course, we know Jesus didn't teach a kind of law and order spirituality because he spent all his time with people who appeared to be lawbreakers, people who didn't live up to the high standards of those who were preaching a kind of strict religion. Jesus went out of his way to include them. As Dave said earlier, he centered the marginalized. He liberated the oppressed. In fact, he said this was his whole gospel when he announced his ministry in the synagogue. There is no hint of fear there. Jesus did, however, seem to highly value obedience to righteousness. So while Jesus perhaps didn't have a high concern or high value for a kind of strict, blind obedience to rules or laws or boundaries or constraints, he definitely cared about righteousness. Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7 in the Sermon on Mount, Jesus unpacks what it looks like for us to live lives of goodness and righteousness, and justice, and peace. And this is, by the way, where his talk of hell comes in. Jesus speaks a great deal about the word that we translate as hell, speaks about Gehenna, the valley on the outside of Jerusalem that was literally a burning trash heap where people brought their garbage, and that garbage was incinerated. And Jesus, over and over and over again, says that if we don't learn to be wise, if we don't learn to be good, if we don't learn to let go of foolishness, if we don't learn to love, if we don't learn to forgive, if we don't learn to let go of greed and lust, the things that control us, then we are literally throwing our lives in the trash. That's what Jesus' talk of hell is about. And certainly, we should be afraid of throwing our lives in the garbage. I want my life to mean something. It's genuinely the fear of my life not meaning something, not being good for my wife, for my kids, for my neighbors, for you. That makes me chase after love. But that really isn't about fear. It's not a law and order spirituality. We also know that Jesus was not teaching a law and order spirituality because he reserved his harshest judgment for those who were the most religiously strict. For Jesus, the greatest wickedness was to use power to harm others. And this is what Jesus understood. 
That as much as you or I might be throwing our lives in the garbage, if we continued in our foolishness, that the real sin, the most destructive sin, the sin that is the most intractable, the actual powers and principalities and evil and wickedness in high places, as Paul puts it, that is the systemic unjust structures that use power and obedience to keep others down. That is a much bigger problem, a much more difficult problem to solve. And Jesus harshly criticized those who took good expressions of religion in Judaism and turned them on their heads in order to oppress and marginalize the weak. And in this sense, Jesus joins with the prophets, not in favoring obedience or any kind of blind obedience. Jesus, in fact, often favors a kind of disobedient obedience. The kind of opposition to unjust power structures that are required in order to be obedient to righteousness. I was a part of a, a gathering once last year, uh, COVID time, excuse me, it's been like two years actually. It's a gathering for a local organization that we're a part of, San Diego Organizing Project. It brought a bunch of clergy together to speak out against uh, systemic racism in San Diego County. We had a news conference about it and like they pointed cameras at a bunch of clergy and we all got up there and we talked about how uh, evil systemic racism is. And I remember uh, afterwards just chatting with some of the other clergy there. One of them was a local rabbi. And we got to talking a little bit, and uh, I can't remember how we even got into the subject, but she said to me, oh, you know why Moses is considered the greatest prophet in all of Judaism? I said, no, why? She said, because he disobeyed God. She's, of course, talking about uh, that famous scene in Exodus chapter 32, where Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and God is so angry with the Israelites because they are down at the bottom of the mountain, and they have erected an idol, and they are you know, worshiping that idol. They have completely turned their backs on God and all that is good in their lives, and God is burning with anger at them. And even though God has given the Ten Commandments and he has entered into a covenant with his people, God says to Moses, I'm done with these people. I'm going to destroy them. And you and I can go on and start all over. We'll get a whole new group of people. Moses says, no, Lord. He disobeys God. He has the, it's okay for me to say this, the chutzpah. to stand before the ultimate power in the universe and disobey. Of course, he does it wisely. He reminds God of God's own promises. He pleads with God. And the scripture tells us God relents. Now, now you can believe whatever you want to believe about, you know, maybe God was testing Moses. Perhaps this was a kind of rhetorical trick. This is, you know, it's great fun to have those debates. But the point, according to my rabbi friend, is that this is what makes Moses the greatest prophet. He had the strength of character to recognize when authority was wrong. 
and disobey. Martin Luther King Jr. said, one has not only a legal, but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. Mahatma Gandhi actually said it before Martin Luther King Jr. when he said civil disobedience becomes a sacred duty when the state has become lawless or corrupt. And a citizen who barters with such a state shares in its corruption and lawlessness. We're not just talking about government. Nowadays, these words could easily be uttered against the church itself. Any church that would condemn or marginalize or oppress people of color ought to be disobeyed. Any church that would condemn or marginalize LGBTQ people ought to be disobeyed. Any church that treats women with any less honor or respect than men should be disobeyed. This is what it means to be obedient, not to law and order, not to doctrines or covenants, but to be obedient to righteousness. And there is no easy answer to questions like what is right and what is wrong. Jesus doesn't come to give us clear rules that we can follow for all eternity. Jesus comes to teach us that entering into these debates is part of what it means to be morally formed so that we can decide rightly and justly how to act. We know also that Jesus did not teach a religion of law and order or spirituality of blind obedience because in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says this, Come to me. All you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is not a spirituality of strict, blind obedience. This is Jesus inviting us to rest. Jesus says that when we enter into our relationship, our followership with him, we take on his yoke. And I know when you think about a yoke, first of all, you don't think about yokes. <laughs> I don't know when was the last time you drove a team of oxen across your field to plow the soil, but... <laughs> When some preacher reads Matthew 11 to you and you think about yokes and you realize it's not an egg yoke, it's a different kind of a yoke. When you think about yokes and Jesus says, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is not inviting you to put a yoke around your neck so that he can drive you across his field and work you to death. A yoke is a piece of wood that has two sections carved out of it so that two cattle, two oxen, two cows can be yoked together so that they can share the burden. One of those cutouts is for you. 
The other one is for Jesus. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship of shared burden, shared responsibility, where you and Jesus and you and God and all of us together are plowing good soil to grow something good. You don't have to do it yourself. That's why his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Jesus isn't teaching a religion of blind authoritarianism. Jesus is teaching a spirituality of authoritative relationships. And the difference is enormous. You have authoritative relationships with people that you know, who you believe, and who you trust. People who have demonstrated to you that they are transparent you know the nakedness thing? That's a metaphor, right? So don't come to church naked anytime soon. <laughs> but Janelle's right, right? A relationship of trust is a relationship of vulnerability and transparency, of openness, of honesty, of authenticity. And because of all of that, you trust each other, you know each other. This is Jesus's spirituality where we are not only open and honest and authentic and transparent with each other, but God is open and honest and transparent with us. Discovering what is good and right and true is something we do together in relationships of honesty and transparency. That is the authoritative Jesus that we are called to follow. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today and for this opportunity for us to be challenged by these words. It's my prayer, God, today. It's our prayer together that you would help us to see what it means to find rest in a spirituality of shared burdens of open and authentic relationships. That we would learn to let go of or fast from fear-based religion, from a law and order spirituality, and that we would enter instead into the kind of relationship with you that is a form of rest. become deeper and more effective human beings because we're becoming more like what you created us to be. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. A little sunshine outside. A couple quick things uh, in addition to being here on a Sunday morning that we would love to get you involved in. Coming up this Thursday, it's already March, by the way, just so everybody knows, it's about to be March already. First Thursday, March 2nd, 6.30 p.m. Uh, via the Zoom, um, the On Common Ground. This is our book club, Living Faithfully in a World of Difference by Tim Keller and John D. Anuza. Sorry if I botched that name, John. That's going to be at 6.30 p.m. 
Uh, in this book gathering, authors gather an array of perspectives from people thinking deeply and working daily to live with humility, patience, and tolerance in our time. If you'd like to be part of that, information is going to be uh, on the website, and we'd love for you to be part of that this Thursday night. Jason already covered community groups, so I'm going to skip over that, although if you've never been part of a community group, Jason's staring at me and Janelle, staring at me intently. I'm going to step over here a little bit. You know, for our family, we were part of community groups for a couple decades, and um, just really great opportunities to connect with other people, to live life with other people, to have drinks with other people at the pub, apparently, um, to break bread, to have dinner. Um, so we'd love for you to just stay tuned. More information is coming up on that. If you have a lot of questions, which I would before I went into somebody's home, just find out who that person's going to be as those groups come together and pull them aside really quick and ask them all your favorite intense questions. Especially if you're thinking about it, because we'd love for you to be involved in that. Um, opportunities, two of them to get involved and volunteer here at OSC. Number one is, if you're able to turn around just really quick, our slide person can wave at you right there. There she is. It's easy, it's fun, it's extremely helpful, and she today is the team person putting all these slides up on the screen. So if you have any technical skills, if you don't, they will teach you. Um, we need the help, and it puts you still in this space on a Sunday morning to be involved. The next opportunity is to join our welcome team. If you are wanting to meet more people here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, this is a great opportunity because on the welcome team, you're just going to welcome everybody and get to know everybody. All right, so we'd love for you to do that. Uh, once again, you can scan the QR code. You can jump online. You can talk to Alex about joining the welcome team or joining our slide team. And then lastly, if you're not supporting what's happening here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. You can do that through your time, through your resources, through your money, and that's what makes this place survive and impact uh, the community we are in. Last thing I'll say really quick on our way out is we heard the word transparent a lot today, didn't we? Authentic, be transparent. Maybe we can start with that with ourselves. Because I sit here and I listen to Jason, and I'm a very visual person, and I'm visualizing these things in my own life that I need to challenge myself in and to become better in so that I can love others more effectively. And so let's start with that just today or throughout the week or throughout Lent. What is it that we need to be more transparent with ourselves about so that we can move into that space of loving others so much more, right? May the peace of God be with you. Have a great week, everybody. Bye.